0: I want to share something that is a weird ritual I have, something that I enjoy. And I don't remember when I stumbled upon this, uh, but I always bite at clickbait. I don't know what it is. And probably over a decade ago, I realized that on New Year's Eve, a lot of the news networks put together a top 10 list of the news events for tw- the the previous year. Maybe you've seen these before. And they'll kind of do the thing like, I bet you can't guess. Like, there's a lot of news that happened in 2023. Here's the big ones. Here's the the biggest newsworthy headlines for the entire year. And so it's been fun for me to just kind of think and to guess and to predict what they were, to go back and reflect on 2023 and remember what they were. And so I challenge you to do your best. It's been a long year. There's been a lot of news. The one this is a spoiler, sorry, if you wanted to play the game, I'm gonna spoil one of them. One of them that I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Remember the fighter jets that were shooting down the weather balloons and the spy balloons, or whatever those were, I'm like, that was 2023? Sounds like years ago, but so there's one. You're at you're at one, you got nine more to go, but enjoy that, have fun with that if that's you. But that that kind of made me think as I was just getting ready for today and processing and preparing. Think of this idea of reflecting and remembering that's not a news thing right like the news didn't invent that like you know that'd be really helpful we should do that that's a bible thing that's a that's a biblical thing to remember and to reflect on what has happened and and so i was just kind of thinking through that processing through that and like where is that told to us in scripture a book that we've received that was written thousands of years ago, where are we encouraged to do that same thing? And that would be a great practice for us on the last day of 2023 to do. And I remember, and I stumbled upon Psalm 100. So if you have your Bibles open, or you're looking for where to flip to, that's your passage for today. Psalm 100 is a very short and simple Psalm with some great truths and applications for us. And that's what we're going to look at today, is we're going to look at Psalm 100. And in Psalm 100 is is a plan, if you will. And it tells us to reflect, to remember, And then what we'll see today is to reorient, is to make some changes based upon the future. So let me read the whole psalm for you. It's not very long. And then we'll dive into our text today and ask God to use it for his honor and glory. Psalm 100 is called a psalm of thanksgiving. And it reads this way. This is the CSB. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Sing to the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations as i said earlier this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving but maybe more specifically it's a call to worship and it calls us to recall the past to consider the present and then to make deliberate decisions in the future specifically regarding the worship of the king of the world it then, it then beautifully summarizes the entire psalm in the final verse, verse 5. So let's see the pattern found in Psalm 100 and then apply this pattern as we move forward into a brand new new year starting tomorrow. So number one, let's look at verses one and two, if you will. We're going to just kind of dissect the passage, see this pattern, and then reflect as well. So the first two verses teach us this, to reflect on the, on the past, to reflect on what God has done in history. Notice a few ver- phrases that verses one and two bring out for us to consider. These three phrases are calls to action based on, on past realities so they are imperatives things to do but they're based on past realities things that have already happened look at the first one it says shout triumphantly doesn't call us just to shout but to shout triumphantly when does a triumphant shout happen after a triumph this is what the text is calling you to reflect on some of you in this room love football, and this is the weekend for you. Man, there was tons of football yesterday, today, and tomorrow. For those of you that don't like football, I'm sorry. We'll get, we'll get through it. It'll be over. But consider football for just a moment. Uh, imagine this scene just for a second. Your favorite team is playing, and they're ahead. And the clock runs out, and your team is vir- victorious. What happens at the end? There is a shout of triumph. And you probably are shouting at the TV, shouting at your friends and family. You've experienced that before. This is what our text is calling us to do. Our text encourages the whole earth to shout just like that. Why? Because the Lord has been triumphant. A victory has been won. This Psalm, as we mentioned earlier, is a Psalm of thanksgiving. This psalm reminds Israel that Yahweh is their king. And each verse hints at God's kingship over all things, over their lives. This psalm reminds God's people of his greatness in the past. Israel's response to this reminder is to shout triumphantly for what he has done. I want to contend with you today or challenge you maybe even to consider that worship should include shouts of triumph. Here at First Family, we intentionally worded our strategy for accomplishing our mission this way. We celebrate the gospel together in our Sunday morning services. I want you to know that wording is very intentional. We celebrate the gospel. Everything we do in the planning, the preparation, the execution of our Sunday morning services are for the goal of celebrating what has happened in the past. For us, it's the gospel, what God did by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Our desire is to passionately celebrate good news that has happened each week, what God did for us in the past. I hope that today you came ready to celebrate. I hope you felt that as you entered the room. Like, man, let's shout triumphantly for what God has done. I'm ready to praise him with my voice, with my hands, for the wonderful works that God has done in the past. Look at the second phrase in verse two now. It says, serve with gladness. Again, there's an imperative there, something to do in the present tense, but it's based upon a past reflection, serve with gladness. This phrase reminds us that worshiping God isn't for spectating, but for participating. God doesn't merely call us to admire him from a distance, but to be a part of what he is doing in the world. Maybe you're a little like me. And when you see that word serve, you maybe bring up some negative connotations of that word. Like, oh man, here we go. Something that's laborious, something I don't want to do, something that's difficult. Uh, in, this, in this chapter, the word serve, it, its root definition just simply means uh, to accomplish a task, to accomplish something. Uh, serving God, uh, church, does doesn't involve shackles, being whipped, or pain. Serving God more looks like fulfilling your purpose, accomplishing the task you were created for. That's the idea of this word, serve. Doing what you were created to do. That's the word, serve. Our hope is that you serve God out of gladness, not out of duty, not out of guilt, out of joy. Can I again challenge you to consider something for a second? Are you serving? Do you have a place that you regularly serve, that you use your gifts, talents, and abilities for the good of others? If you aren't serving, I believe you are missing out on the gladness that results from serving. I believe that glad hearts serve But also that serving produces glad hearts. So if you aren't serving, you may not be glad. Are you lacking gladness? Serve. I think that's counterintuitive to how we think many times. If you're frustrated, sad, disappointed. I sometimes think this way, like I just need more me time. What I really need to do is just to be more self-centered. So Travis needs to go do what Travis wants to do. The scripture seems to paint the opposite picture. Are you sad, disappointed, frustrated, uh, not happy? Go give, go serve, go meet others needs. That's the thing you were created to do. That's go fulfill your purpose. And that results in gladness. For both of these reasons, I highly encourage you to serve out of gladness, and as a result, gladness will come. And then lastly, look at again, the bottom, the end of verse two, we have one final exhortation, and it says this, come before him with joyful songs. Church, singing is and has always been a response of joy. Joyful hearts Sing. It's always been the case. When you read scripture, when you study the Bible, you will learn that singing is normal for followers of God. And it always has. Little surprise here, but Taylor Holt wasn't the first person to get the church to sing. And neither was famous hymn writer Isaac Watts. The church has always been a singing church. Followers of God have always been a singing people quick trivia question for you in case you're one of those you enjoy that what do you think is the first specific reference to singing in scripture and what was the context around it the first specific um yeah exhortation or um example of uh, congregation singing and what was the context around it i asked my family last night My daughter got the answer right, so I was really proud of her. So I'm curious if you would come up with the same answer. You ready for the answer? Did I give you enough time? It's in Exodus, right after the nation of Israel crosses the Red Sea on dry ground, is the first connection to this congregational singing. Isn't that interesting? Let me read for you. It's actually right at the end of Exodus 14, is the final story, and Exodus 15 verse 1 is their natural response. Let me read it for you. It says this, uh, Exodus 14 verse 29, but the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. The people people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. You get the context? This great work happens. They see the mighty works of God. The result is that people fear and believe. Now look at Exodus 15 verse 1. Here's the natural response. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted and he has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. See this beautiful, just exhortation and reminder of the the natural singing that results as a wonder of God's work in his mighty, mighty hands. I would ask you and maybe challenge you and ask you to consider again, do you sing? Do you joyfully sing? This is the moment that church gathers and worships God. Is it a great moment for you to express your gratitude for God or does this look like you? I challenge you to consider why aren't you singing? I think maybe sometimes we reflect, we, we make it this external appearance thing and we're worried about what others think about us. Your pitch might not be perfect. And I want you to know God loves the singing of his people. So two convicting reasons, church, no matter how you sing, to sing joyfully. Number one, God loves to hear you sing. Isn't that convicting? Isn't that encouraging to sing out? He loves it when you sing. Number two, God deserves credit for everything good in your life. And scripture teaches us that credit giving often looks like singing. As you reflect on scripture and you just see this common thread of singing throughout text, what it is is credit Giving. Can I ask you a question this week? You guys have a pretty good week this week. Was Monday a pretty fun day? Were you blessed in lots of different ways? Were you able to bless others in different ways? Now, who gave you all those things? God. Whether you received or you gave or both, all of that credit goes to God for how he's met your needs, provided for you, given you things. Have you thanked him? Man, I really hope that you came today ready to credit give for to God for all he's done with, for you. And in text, in scripture, it looks like singing. So we should sing out. We should sing joyfully. See, verses 1 and 2 challenge us to reflect on the past and then to respond physically in the three ways are by shouting serving and singing. All right, I want you to pull out your sermon notes real quick. Again, I'm not gonna give you a ton of time to do that. That would take all day, but I want you to just point these out and to show these to you. We've given you some prayer prompts or some ways to respond about this. So the first part, verses one and two says this, reflect on what he has done in the past. And here's your prayer prompts that we would encourage you. Maybe today at lunch with your family, maybe just personal time between you and God. Wherever you get a moment today to just spend time thanking God, here's some prayer prompts. God, thank you for being. God, thank you for doing. And God, thank you for helping. You know, not everything in 2023 was great, right? There were hard moments. There were difficult moments. But as Taylor prayed earlier, in those moments, God is your helper. In those moments, he's your strength. He's your sustainer and you can thank God for him revealing to that or proving that to you even in difficult moments in the past year. So take these as prayer prompts and use them as an opportunity to give God credit for being for doing and for helping. All right, let's move along in our text. Let's move to verse three now. Verses one and two, you see past tense. In verse three, you see present tense. And let me just point this out to you. This verse, verse three, encourages us to rejoice in light of who he is currently or to acknowledge our current reality. Notice a few more phrases in verse three. It says this, the Lord is God the Lord is God. Literally, it reads this way, Yahweh is Elohim. Now, maybe it seems a little redundant, like two different names of God. What's the point here? It reads this way, or Yahweh, that's our God, his name that he gave us to call him. Yahweh is the supreme being and creator. That's what that phrase, the Lord is God, means. Yahweh, the one we know, the one we worship, the one we talk to, he is the supreme being. He's our creator. He gave us his name so we could know him, even though he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He allows us to know him. That's who he is today. Yahweh is the supreme being and creator. Not only is he creator, but the next phrase teaches us that he made us that he's our creator, that he is our designer. We were his idea. Who you are today, the person you are today is God's design. He loves you. He knows you intimately. He knows you more than you know yourself. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows the the days you've been given. He's not only the creator of the world, he's your creator, your designer. He goes on to even another level of depth. Not that he's just your creator, but we are his. We're his possession. He is our owner, and he made us for himself. He claims us. You're mine. And then just add more significant, he says, You're my sheep. You are the sheep of my pasture, the sheep of his pasture. We're not just wild sheep. We're sheep in his pasture. He knows us. He talks to us. We know his voice. Verse three is just this beautiful declaration to us of our relationship with God. If I can highly encourage you, memorize verse three. Write it on your mirror. Put it in your car somewhere. Every day you should interact with the beautiful truths of Psalm 103 that remind you of the relationship you have with God. Uh, let me, let me characterize something for you or, or uh, uh, show you some differences. If you were to summarize America's religion, it would probably be deism. This idea of a supreme being, an all-powerful all maker that's unknowable. If you were to just go poll people, they'd probably be like, yeah, I think there's a God. No, you can't know him. That's deism. And deism acknowledges that God is the creator of mankind But here's the difference between Christianity. Christianity gives him credit for his constant possession and authority over it, that he made us. We are his. We're his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. That's specifically Christian. This is what we believe, the the depths of our relationship with our maker, God, that he loves us, he knows us, and he wants to relate with us. He's our, this signifies a deep intimate personal relationship. Take out your sheet again and look at the second part of this where it says verse 3. Again, just some prayer prompts for you to digest and reflect today as you before you move into 2024. Some prayer prompts for you to think down and write. Today, God, thank you for always being and here you could write things like God, thank you for being my creator. Thank you for being my maker, my shepherd, my father. Reflect on who he is to you today. And then, God, thank you for allowing me to be. What's that relationship that's true because of who God is? You could write here, God, you're my, you're my, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm the sheep you care for deeply. You know me. You love me. Reflect on the reality, current reality of what is true because of who God is. And then finally, verse 4 Verse 4 teaches us to reorient our lives because he is worthy. Call, uh, verse 4 is a call to action. Based upon everything you just heard in verses 1 through 3, in light of all that good news, what should be true of us? How should we change? What moves should we make? What's our next step in this relationship with God because it's because of all those things that are true? Verse 4 forces us to contemplate how we live in the future. It says, enter His gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. This verse challenges us to think this way. In light of what God has done in the past and because of who he is today, I must reorient my life in response. I must be a grateful sheep. Because of what he's done for me, of course I will live for him. I, I love verse four. Verse three, again, Is a verse you should put on your mirror, put in your car, reflect on this beautiful truth. Verse four, tuck away into your heart. Let me explain to you, I think, some of the depth and beauty of verse four. Verse four has beautiful Old Testament tabernacle imagery that I don't want you to miss. Can you for a moment imagine the tabernacle? Again, it was kind of this makeshift, portable um, sanctuary for the Lord. And it had different elements or different areas. It had a border with a gate. It had the courts and then it had the, the, the inner place, the Holy of Holies, it had kind of these areas, okay? Notice our text, it's talking about this intimacy. He says at the beginning, he says, "'Enter his gates with thanksgiving.' The first layer of welcoming or acceptance into God's presence to relate to God, to spend time with Him was the, what, what the tabernacle called the wide gate. The wide gate was a 30 foot wide entrance only blocked by a simple light curtain. And it was this reminder that God's accessible, but there's only one way in through the wide gate. But it was accessible it was easy to lift up this curtain and to enter it often reminded us that we have access to god this gate was often referred to as the gate of repentance that yeah you can access god it's simple but specific and it's through repentance i hope that you are grateful that you can enter god's gates that you can come to him that no matter what 2023 looked like for you you can still approach him through repentance and repentance is the acknowledgement that we need him, that there's only one way, that we can't live life without him. But then look at the second phrase, enter his courts with praise. See, in the tabernacle, once you got through the open, uh, the open gate, the wide gate, you were in now the courts where you, could, you were closer to the Holy of Holies. Um, and inside the courts were two specific objects. One was the bronze altar, and one was the bronze basin, and these—this was the second layer of welcome or acceptance into God's presence. It was more intimate and a deeper level, a sense of acceptance. The bronze altar and the, and the basin forced you to deal with your sinfulness. You walked into the open the, through the wide gate; it was easily accessible, and then right in front, you, in front of you were these two elements: the basin and the altar. And it made the person who desired a relationship with God force them to ask these questions. How can I be made right with God? How can I make myself acceptable to a holy God who's separated from me? And the basin and the altar made you consider a sacrifice and a bath. If I'm gonna be acceptable to God, I need a sacrifice and I need a bath before I can ex- come before God. But you were closer in proximity to God. You needed a washing and a sacrifice. You had to consider your sinfulness that you're not as as you entered acceptable to God. Now, I can't go into this more. I'd love to. That'd be a 40 another 40 minute sermon. But for now, just tuck that away. I'll talk about it at the end. For now, just understand this is another the courts, is another level of of welcome and acceptance to an all-powerful God. It's the same illustration idea that you, you know when it comes to your own house. Consider somebody comes to the house, right? And they get a certain level of welcome or acceptance. Maybe it's um, a UPS driver or something like that. And you're like, hey, thanks so much, have a good day. And they kind of stay on the porch or whatever because you don't really know them intimately, deeply. But then maybe somebody else comes over to the house and they've got like cookies and you're like, hey, come on in. Open the door for them. Here's the entryway. Let's hang out, chat. Thanks for cookies. Merry Christmas. All right. Have a good day. But then maybe somebody else comes over and you've had an appointment with them. Like you've said, hey, come on over at three o'clock. So not only do you open the door for them, hey, come on in, take your shoes off. Let's go to the living room. Let's have a chat. Let's relax. You want some coffee? I'd love for you to come in and let's get to know each other. This is the same illustration of the tabernacle. There's access to a holy God. Come on in, you're welcomed. I want to spend time with you. This is exactly what verse four is teaching us, that God desires to live with you, to to spend time with you. And then notice the end of verse four. It's inside the courts where we give him thanks and bless his name. We don't scream to him from a distance. We get to speak to him closely like the sons and daughters we are. That's what verse four is reminding you of the beautiful relationship you currently have with God. You've been brought in. You're a son. You're a daughter. You have access. Enjoy that access. Bless his name. So now take out your sheet, look at it again, and just spend some time reflecting on those things. The end of verse four, here's kind of the prayer prompts. Reorient my life because he is worthy. God, this year, will you help me enter, praise, and give. And as you see those three words, my challenge you consider is how you reorient your life are these three things. God, how this year can I use my feet where I go to bless your name? God, this year, how can I use my mouth? How can I praise you? How can I give you more worship? Because you're worthy of it. And God, what can I do with my hands? What can I give you this year? Because you're worthy of it. God, based upon everything you've done for me, who you are today, let me reorient my life in order to give you the praise and the worship you're worthy of. Now look at verse five. Verse five, God is the greatest writer in the world, obviously. But look at verse five, how verse five just summarizes everything we've just seen in verses one through four. Verse five is this beautiful summary of the entire psalm. He says this, because the Lord is good. That's the present tense. God is good. His faithful love, that's past tense. He's been faithful in the past. He's always been good to us. His faithfulness endures. It endures forever. And his faithfulness through all generations, speaking of your grandkids, grandkids, his faithfulness to all generations, future tense. Verse five just summarizes who God is, who, what he's like, and what he's worthy of. Because of this, we should reorient our lives to live for his honor and glory. So for sure, if there's a take-home verse, it's probably verse five. You should just write down, ver- take home truth. There. Just write down verse five. But I thought I'd just put it in more of our vernacular, words that we use around here at First Family. And so let me give you a little bit different of a take home truth. Just something you'll see we use often around here. Here's my take home truth. God's goodness, his faithfulness and grace are continually transforming me into a devoted follower of Jesus Christ who celebrates grows and serves for his glory that's i think a summary of verse 100 god's grace his goodness his faithfulness is transforming me it's not something i have to muster up i don't have to force it it naturally is helping me reorient my life to live for his honor and glory and it causes me to celebrate grow and serve for his honor and glory I hope that you just reflect on that, consider that, take that home, and ask God to do that for you in 2024. I want you to pull out that bookmark as we wrap up today. I want you to pull up that bookmark that we gave you and just give you some practical things to apply maybe today to consider, put in your Bible, reflect on it continually. What we are asking you to do is to, to desire as followers of God to develop godly habits please hear me what we are not saying is this is a list of things you must do to be loved no one has said that we don't believe that you are fully loved as god sent his son to pay the penalty for your sins we are now recipients of his grace and he is developing us into devoted followers of jesus who celebrate, grow, and serve for his glory. And so we just came up with some habits, some things that we would hope that would be true of first family church. Let's not create resolutions we will give up on January 8th. Let's slowly develop habits that will last a lifetime. I was in youth ministry for a long time. Here's a youth ministry illustration. So let's say you're, this this will make sense to youth ministry. Let's say your goal in 2024 is to brush your teeth twice a day. That's your goal, right? I'm going to create a New Year's resolution. I'm going to brush my teeth twice a day. It's January 5th. I'm just not doing a good job. I forgot to brush my teeth. It's been a while. So what do you do as an individual? Do you just give up? Like ah, 2024 wasn't my year for brushing teeth. I'm going to create a new New Year's resolution next year to brush my teeth? No. You brush your teeth tomorrow morning. Well, get out of bed, go brush your teeth. But anyways, you start brushing your teeth because what you know is brushing your teeth is good for you. However, however often you do it, it's good for you. It's a healthy habit. Why do we sometimes put Bible reading in the first category of like, well, I only got to Genesis 6. I don't know who the Nephilim is, so I'm giving up, right? Like, why do we do that? And I'll just start back over in 2025. Let's put Bible reading in the category of teeth brushing. You do it every single time. It's beneficial for you. It's a healthy habit. Let's be the type of people that read their Bibles because we know it's good for us. We want you to be Bible readers, people who love their Bible. Let's do that. And so that's why we've given you Todd's book. That's why we've given you the Bible reading plan is just to be people who regularly read their Bible. The second thing on there is to pray often. It's prayer is just a conversation with God. There's no goodbyes. We're always talking to God, always in a dialogue with him, having a conversation. Be people, pray often. Third one there is gather for worship weekly. Thank you for being here you know what the national average is for Christians who go to church? Once a month. Can we do better than that? Jesus is worth more than that. We can worship him weekly. Gather together with your brothers and sisters to worship with Jesus. Thank you for being here. Let's do make that a constant habit in our life. The next one there, grow in a small group. I know majority of you are in a small group. Thank you. But just make that a natural rhythm, a staple of your life. January is a wonderful time to get into a small group. If you're not in a small group yet, I'd love to help you find one. Maybe you're already in a small group and you could do more. We have women's ministry Bible studies that'll be starting up soon. We have men's groups that will be starting up soon. We'd love for you to jump into one of those and to spend time with your brothers and sisters in Christ and continue to develop as a devoted follower of Jesus. The next one there is give generously. I just really hope that that's a natural rhythm, a part of your budget, a part of your normal month or week is to give God back what he's given to you. The next one there, serve selflessly. Find a place to serve regularly to give of your talents and abilities back to others so that they can be blessed. Disciple someone and then share the gospel. Can I just, I'll say this. I, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you hold me accountable to these? I'm not putting this out as a list of things for you to do. I'm a fellow devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Hold me accountable to these. And then in response, can I hold you accountable to these? Now give me freedom to say I'm not doing well because I'm a sinner. And so I give you the same freedom, but let's make these, strive for these to be natural habits in our life together. Ask me how I'm doing, and I'll ask you how you're doing. Let's continue to develop into fully devoted followers of Jesus. So church, which of these habits do you need to continue to develop in 2024 as a response to what God has done in the past and who he is in the present? My prayer for you is that 2024 would be another opportunity for you to continue to develop and to thank God for all he's done in your life.